Uh, scripture today will be from 2 Corinthians, uh, two, different, two different passages. Uh, chapter 8, verse 7. <clears throat> but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded of your message through Josh last week and the call to preaching. We thank you for Reed. We thank you for the text this morning. And we thank you for your grace in all of our lives. We thank you for always giving everything we need. We ask that our minds would be alert and our ears attentive and show us how to reap a larger harvest. Amen. Uh, Good morning to you. So glad to have you with us. And we are going to talk about giving this morning, but I want to start off with something a little different, something that the Lord really blessed me with and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I trust it will, and it does relate, and I think in a very powerful way, to giving. Uh, The law of cause and effect says that for every effect within our world, there is a cause. The door opens because you push on it. Pushing is the cause. The door opening is the effect. And that door will not open without a cause. Did everybody here uh, hear about that massive cargo ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal a couple of weeks ago? Did you know that the moon was the main cause in freeing that ship? One article I read said, salvage teams working on land and water for six days and nights were ultimately assisted by forces more powerful than any machine, the moon and the tides. The gravitational pull of the moon pulls the ocean waters and creates high tides which raised the ship. The moon is the cause, the high tides, the effect, the result was that ship was freed and without the moon, they would never have gotten that ship unstuck without unloading it. Well, in the life of the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the cause. Everything we do or become is the effect of the Spirit's influence in us and upon us. Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. The wind is invisible, but things happen when the wind blows. The wind makes noise, Trees move, uh, leaves blow, etc. And like the wind, the Holy Spirit invisibly causes powerful things to happen in everyone who is born of the Spirit. God does things by His Spirit. It is not, not by might, not by human might, not by human power, the Lord says, but by my Spirit, the whole the Spirit of God is the cause. And this is how we become new people. We are born of the Spirit, and then everything, all the fruits that come in our lives 
come as a result of the, this powerful cause of the Holy Spirit. And one of the mighty effects of the Spirit, and, and really, I might say, one of the mightiest effects of the Spirit in our lives is that we become givers. We develop a, a heart to give. We want to give ourselves away. We want to give as a general disposition of life. We, we want to do something. We want to offer something, to give something to the Lord for all He has done for us. In a sense, we could say the Holy Spirit is that gravitational pull on our hearts, pulling us out of our old self and into the new way of living that we're called to in the Bible. Hudson Taylor wrote one of the most beautiful expressions of love for the Lord that I've ever read. And in this expression, it doesn't necessarily talk just about giving, but what he's going to say, what I'm going to read for you, is the heart of giving. He said, I poured out my soul before God, again and again, confessing my grateful love for him who had done everything for me. I besought him to give me some work for him as an outlet for love and gratitude. Some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or however trivial, something with which he would be pleased that I might do for him who had done so much for me. Hudson Taylor pleaded with a way to give and to serve. He, he wanted some kind of outlet, any kind of outlet, no matter how big or how small, for his love and gratitude to his Savior. David said something very similar to this in Psalm 116, 12. He said, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? What shall I give back to the Lord? How can I repay the Lord? What shall I offer to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? David was so overwhelmed by the Lord's goodness, he had his passion, this desire to give back to the Lord something for all he had done for him. But how do you pay back someone who gives you life and breath and health? How do you pay back someone who gives you forgiveness of sins and salvation? How do you pay back someone who saves your soul from hell? How do you pay back a God who loves you and gave up his only son to suffer and die for you? Well, we can't, of course. But our hearts are moved like Hudson Taylor and like David. Our hearts are stirred with a desire to give him something. We, we give, we become givers because he first gave to us. Giving is not something thought up by men and churches. It's been perverted by men and churches, but giving has not been thought up by men and churches. God himself is a giver. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We desperately needed help out of our sins 
And God was willing to do anything. He was willing to give up even his own son to help us. Paul's logic is if he would do that, if God would do that for us, he is willing to give you everything. God is a giver. God gives and he gives and he gives. The heart of the Father is to give. Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God loves to give to you and to me. And if we abide in God, our heart will become like our Father's heart. When we, when we connect with God, we, when we have a true connection with God, when our hearts really connect with God, when we really come to know God, then our hearts are changed to be like our Father's heart. And we develop a, a passion, a desire, even like Hudson Taylor, uh, a pleading with God for avenues and, and ways in which, which we can show our love for Him and do something for Him and offer Him some kind of service, pouring ourselves out, giving ourselves away some way, somehow in Jesus' name because our heart's just overflowing with gratitude. For those who have been with us for a while, you know we're teaching through a series on the church, and our statement for this week is, we will give generously and cheerfully as a church family. Giving is a church project. It is not just for a handful of people. Paul urged the church at Corinth to give. And we all give different amounts, but we, as members of one another, we all put it in together, all together, to support the work of the Lord in this church and, of course, to meet many other needs here and even around the world. In Exodus 35.4, Moses told the whole congregation of Israel... This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a contribution for the Lord. I mean, there's many times in the, the history of Israel that you see this where the, 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 the collections that were taken up, they were taken up as a whole community. The, the whole congregation of Israel was told to bring an offering for the Lord. I know people kind of panic when the topic of giving comes up. And most everybody feels that they struggle to make ends meet. To make house payments, to keep cars running, um, and all of that. And to even think of one more place for your money to go causes panic. And, you know, God knows that. And he sympathizes with us in our financial pressures. I truly believe that. And yet he knows that we need to become givers. God teaches his people to give all through the Bible, and giving is all through the Bible. Abraham gave the Lord a tenth of all that he won in battle because he recognized that the Lord was the one who gave him the victory, and so he gave back a tenth as a way of showing that he acknowledged that all that he had gained came from the hand of the Lord because of the Lord's goodness and mercy to him. He 
gave it to the Lord as a, as a, as a model, as an example for us. The nation of Israel, as I said, they practiced giving. Uh, in one of their better moments in Exodus 36, 3 through 7, it says, they gave so much more for doing the work of the Lord that Moses had to tell them to stop. Proverbs, which the book of Proverbs, which teaches us how to live wisely or how to live in wisdom, uh, teaches, uh, teaches giving generously over and over. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It was one of the first verses I ever remembered or I ever memorized on giving, and I've never forgotten it. But because book, Proverbs is a, is a book about, get, about wisdom, it teaches us how to give because giving is a part of wisdom. It is actually wisdom to give and actually foolishness not to give. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured out into your lap. So giving is a part of living a blessed life. The apostles taught New Testament believers to give. I think it's very interesting and very enlightening that Paul said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He, he doesn't tell thieves and robbers to stop stealing and go to work so they can just provide for themselves. He says, no, do this so that you have something to share with other people who have pressing needs. So the gospel takes robbers and thieves and turns them into givers. God takes all of us, selfish, greedy, anxious, nervous about money, self-protective people, and he turns us into givers. I knew a guy years ago uh, back at Iowa State, his name is Mike Merritt, and he took on an extra job, and he already seemed plenty busy to me, so I asked him, why did you take on this extra job? And he said, so I can have some extra money to give. Made a big impression on me. There are many people and organizations to give to, and I cannot give you a rule book on exactly who you ought to give to. We are to give to the poor. We are to give to the hungry. We are to support those who labor in teaching and preaching the word. Uh, those who make disciples and plant churches. Anywhere the work of the Lord is going on, and we are to give. It is good to give to one another. I think it's great when we see people giving books or soap or clothes or food to one another. All of that is really good. There are also biblical reasons for giving to the church, to a local church. Galatians 6.6 6 says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with him who teaches him. It's New American Standard, Galatians 6.6. 6. And Paul said, 
if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 1 Corinthians 9, 11, the ESV. In other words, you give materially where you are blessed spiritually. If the church is a blessing to you, feeding you, teaching you, then you give something back materially. Another reason for giving to the church is found in 1 Timothy 5.17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Uh, Very plainly, uh, believers are to give to their local churches so they can pay a proper wage to the elders who preach and teach. Uh, A person who teaches school is worthy of being paid for that. A person who works in an office is worthy of being paid for that. A person who drives a truck is worthy of being paid for that. The Bible says an elder who teaches the word well is worthy of being paid for that. Sometimes elders are not paid, and personally I am not paid anything from Real Life Church, but it is normal and biblical for elders to be paid. Even Jesus and the disciples had to have money to travel from town to town as they did. Luke tells us in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, something very interesting. He said, there was a group of women, some of whom Jesus had healed and cast out demons. There was a group of women who traveled with Jesus and the disciples and supported them. In other words, supported Jesus and the disciples from their own means. There is nothing at all unspiritual about giving or receiving support. It is needed for all kinds of ministry. Now, our two scripture passages were taken from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And in those two chapters, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing persecution, poverty, and famine. So many of the churches, Gentile churches, decided to take up a collection for them. And the Corinthian church was initially quite enthused about helping out. In fact, they had promised a gift, but they had not actually gotten around to making their contribution. So Paul seeks to stir them up to follow through on their good intentions by giving what I believe is the most extensive teaching about giving that we have in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so we're, we can't touch on everything for, from those two chapters, though we'd be, we'd be here for a long time, but I'm going to touch on some key things from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 begins, and now, brothers, he's writing to the church at Corinth, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. All right, the Macedonian churches were up there in northern Greece. Some of them were probably the church at Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica. The church at Corinth was down in southern Greece. And so Paul's writing to this church down in southern Greece, and he's saying, "I, I want you to know about the grace that God gave the churches up in this region of Macedonia. The grace of God was manifested in these churches in 
their desire to give money. In verse 7, Paul called this the grace of giving. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's natural to think only of our own needs. It's natural to be anxious about money and to never think we have enough money to give. But then grace, God's grace, comes upon our lives and releases us from that tight-fisted stinginess that's inborn in all of us and transforms us into generous givers. It's, it's grace that makes us givers. God's grace has the amazing power to make us want to give, which is what Paul goes on to tell about in verses two and three. Again, we're, he's telling the Corinthians about this other group of churches up in Macedonia, and he says in verse two, out of the most severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generous, in rich generosity. Okay, they had, these people, they had, they had a lot of joy. They were overflowing joy, but they also were in extreme poverty. Somehow, in their poverty and in their joy, there welled up within them this grace of rich generosity. For I testify that, that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. It seems that Paul may have actually been reluctant to present this giving opportunity or this giving need to the Macedonians because of how poor they were. And yet, Paul says, entirely on their own, without any prompting from me, they, they demanded the right to share in this giving. They, they demanded to have part in this privilege of giving. As it says, the grace of giving was upon them. The grace of God was upon them. And so Paul used their example to motivate the church at Corinth to o- overcome their sluggishness to give, which brings us to our second point, or actually makes our second point, which is giving can and sometimes does need to be stirred up. We sometimes need outward promptings to go with the inner promptings of grace. And I often think of this as how the Scripture, the Word, and the Holy Spirit work together. The Holy Spirit is always at work inside of you, leading you, prompting you, giving you the impulse to do all the things that the, the Word of God tells us to do. So we have, we have the outward promptings of the Word of Scripture and then the inward promptings and work of the Holy Spirit and they work right together to help us become all that we are to be as new people in Christ. So sometimes we need outward promptings to go with the inner promptings of grace and of the Holy Spirit. And Paul also used the example of Christ. He used the Macedonian church to stir them up, but Paul also used the example of Christ to stir up the Corinthians to give. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor so that you might become rich. I think that's a verse that maybe a lot of Christians know or have heard. For your sakes he became poor so that you might become rich. And yet that verse was given to stir us up to give generously. Jesus left the riches of heaven to experience the poverty and suffering of life on this earth, even to the point of death on a cross for our sakes. He gave that all up. He gave up all the riches of heaven so that we might become rich through through the laying down of his life for us. Christ unburdened us from our debt and our sin. And so he took that, he took our sin and our debt away from us and then he just lavished us down with grace and forgiveness and love. And Paul is using that. He's saying, let this supreme act of leaving riches and becoming poor for your sake, let, let his supreme, supreme act of giving stir your heart to give. Third, we should actively seek to excel in giving. I doubt that many of us think about excelling in giving. Verse, chapter 8, verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So it might not be something that we think of excelling at. There might even be other areas of the Christian life that we think, okay, I really want to excel at that. Well, Paul says, that's great, but also see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace. It's, it's a work of God. It's a, it's a manifestation of God's work, God's grace, uh, God working at work within us. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit. But it is, it is something that we also apply ourselves to to seek to excel at it. Uh, I think it was Dallas Willard that said, and this has been said probably by many people, but grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. And actually, if we understand the true grace of God, it actually stirs up effort within us. So we seek to be good at so many things, uh, Cooking or coaching or career or parenting or designing things or fixing up things. And Paul says, seek to be good, to be very good, to excel at giving. And we should be a church that excels in faith. We should be a church that excels in love. I mean, that's absolutely preeminent. Uh, I hope we have a passion as a church to excel in our love for one another. We should seek to excel in spiritual gifts, in speaking gifts, in knowledge gifts. But Paul says, even if you do all that well, I want you also to do well, to do very well, to excel in this grace of giving. Fourth, God wants cheerful, eager givers. Chapter 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It matters to God how you give. God loves a cheerful giver. It matters to God whether we give reluctantly or 
cheerfully, grudgingly, or eagerly. In chapter 9, verse 2, uh, Paul had said, I know your eagerness to help and your enthusiasm has stirred others to action. These, these are the attitudes that God wants us to have about giving. I know your, your eagerness to help and your enthusiasm. That's the kind of heart God wants. Giving that is forced or pressured or exacted by guilt and, and manipulation ruins the very thing that God is looking for in our hearts. Someone once, I think it was Warren Wearsby, said that certain churches turn the offering into a kind of guilt-laden seance. And when I read that phrase, I laughed for about 10 minutes. <laughs> a guilt-laden seance. I mean, you know how it goes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and then comes the pressure and the guilt uh, just before we take up the offering. Well, we don't do that here because God says to decide in your own heart what to give. He wants a, a free, a willing gift, an eager gift. Giving, giving under compulsion means you give, but your heart remains reluctant or resentful. Well, Paul says, first, get your heart right, then give cheerfully and eagerly because God loves that kind of giver. And what a, what a statement that is. I mean, if that doesn't, if, if, if there's so many motivations for giving presented in the scriptures, but I don't know if there's anything more powerful than this one, that God loves a cheerful giver. God delights in people that give cheerfully. Not the amount so much as the heart, the attitude that you give. Fifth, we need to actually get around to giving. Uh, we may think that that's uh, just a 20th or 21st century problem, but uh, it, was a, it was a problem back here in, in Corinth. The Christians at Corinth had heard the need of the believers in the Jerusalem. They'd heard the need. They had the desire to give. They had promised to give. But time had passed, and they had not given. So Paul wrote to them in these two chapters in Second Corinthians, in chapter 8, verse 11, he says, Now finish the work of giving, so that your eager willingness, which, eager willingness, which you had at first, may be matched by your completing it. And I got to confess, I have, I have sometimes been stirred to give. I've actually had a warm feeling in my heart about giving as I imagined giving and then sometimes just have just not followed through and actually given. You know, that's a problem. It was a problem here at Corinth and it can be a problem for all of us. We might be stirred to give. We, we think, wow, that sounds like a really beautiful uh, thing to do to give that we, when we, we imagine giving. But there has to come a time where we actually uh, write a check or uh, part with dollar bills or 
uh, I don't know, everybody gives electronically, I guess, now or whatever. But anyway, what it, we actually, there has to come a time where we actually do the giving. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. It's, it's almost kind of humorous the way he has to uh, address this. In, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul said, uh, Now about the collection for the Lord's people... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In other words, this was not something he was just telling the Corinthians to do. He said, okay, this is, you know, this is what I tell all the churches to do. I told the Galatian churches this, too. On the first day of every week, each one should, of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be, have to be made. In other words, he was just helping them to put this into practice. He was putting it on very practical terms, breaking it down uh, week by week, setting aside a little bit of a sum. I mean, honestly, it kind of reminded me of my dad and how he helped me to, to learn to give when I was growing up. Sixth, we are to give according to what we have. We do not all give the same amount. Some bring much, some bring a, a little. We put it all together and we give as a body as members of one another unto the Lord. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 11 and 12 says to give according to your means and your gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Those with more can give more. Uh, but don't be discouraged from giving if you can only give a little. Uh, you know the story of the poor widow who put in uh, in the King James, it says that the widow's might, or some of the other translations say two uh, small copper coins. And what was Jesus' response to that offering of those two small, very small, tiny copper coins? Jesus said this poor widow has put in more than all the others. So in God's eyes, the smallest gift may actually be the greatest gift in his eyes and, and may actually earn the greatest com com commendation or the greatest reward. So the Bible teaches that we, that we give according as God has prospered you. And so it's giving us to be pr proportional. Seventh, giving does bring a blessing back upon you and this is presented over and over and over in Scripture as a reason, as a, as a motivation to give. I know some people have a problem with that, but it is there. I mean, almost every place we are instructed to give, there, there is also this promise that something will come back to you for giving. Now, I know there's been a huge amount of distortion and perversion of that, but, but let's, let's listen to what the Bible says. Remember this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Giving affects our lives. Giving affects your life. It affects what we reap. It affects what you reap. This is both sobering and motivating. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It's, it's a warning against stinginess. But it's also an encouragement 
to give generously. Those who give generously will also reap generously. So it's both a warning and an encouragement. And the Bible uses this imagery of sowing and reaping. Uh, We think, very logically, that if we have $200 and we give $100, we have $100 less, and we will never see that again. But giving, the Bible says, is like sowing seed. You you seem to lose it for a while when you put that seed in the ground, but it comes back to you in the harvest. And the Bible says giving is like that. It is sowing and then reaping. And the benefit is not only financial, but it is a general sufficiency for life. That's why I love the passage that Colin read for us earlier, for 2 Corinthians 9, 8. This is out of the ESV. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You will have all you need in all things and at all times. And then he concludes, so you can even do more good. And that's put out there as a motivation, as an encouragement for giving generously. Paul said that one of the reasons he talked to the Philippians about giving is that he did not want them to miss out on the reward that would come to them from giving. Uh, Philippians 4.17, this is out of the New American Standard, says, not that I seek the gift itself. Paul says, it's not that I'm just seeking this gift. They were giving and supporting Paul. And Paul says, it's not that I seek the gift itself for, for myself, but I seek the profit or the reward which increases to your account. In other words, he's, he's saying, the reason I'm teaching you guys to give isn't, isn't so that I profit by it. I'm teaching you to give because I seek the reward or the profit that will increase to your account. We do not teach what is commonly called the prosperity gospel here, which says that God wants every Christian to be rich and that we can manipulate that to happen by our own faith and words. We don't preach that, but we also have to be careful that we do not downplay the rich truths and promises of Scripture that we will be blessed in everything in giving. So, let me end this morning with uh, these reasons why we give. We give, because we, we give because we believe God. Giving is an act of faith. We believe what God says about sowing and reaping, and so we, we give because we believe God. We give because God loves a cheerful giver. We give just because we want, we want to bring pleasure and delight to God and because we know that he loves seeing a cheerful giver. We give because the grace of God works within our hearts. The, the grace of God works generosity within our hearts. Without, 
Without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the work of God's grace within us, uh, we, we would all remain quite selfish and stingy and, and wouldn't be generous at all. And, you, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, giving that you see out in the world is really done out of a completely selfish motive to have their own, you know, people's own names put up in, on a sign or whatever. But we give just because God's grace is upon us to give. The power of grace, the power of God's Spirit to transform us from sh- selfish people to, into people who, who want to give ourselves away in a whole lot of ways, but even in the area of, of finances and money. We give because Jesus parted with his riches for us. We give because we love people and we love to meet pressing needs. And that was, that was why Paul said that those who'd been thieves should, should go to work, uh, not just to meet their own needs, but so that they'd have something to share um, and to meet pressing needs in other people. Uh, we give because we care about the work of the Lord. Uh, so we give to support those who teach and preach the word because we care about the preaching and teaching of the word. Uh, we give to uh, different efforts and works and organizations and missions to help build up the church of Jesus Christ all around the world because we care about the kingdom of God. We care about the, 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 the work of the Lord here, at home, and lots of other places too. So, you know, my appeal to you this morning is just simply uh, let God touch your heart in this area of giving. His, work, his grace is at work within you. His spirit is at work within you to, um, to move you into a place of generosity. And if you don't currently practice uh, regularly, regular faithful giving, I'm not here to condemn you or beat anybody up. But, you know, a lot, just let your heart respond to the Holy Spirit and you don't have to look back. You can forget what's behind and look, look to what lies ahead and just begin, begin somewhere. We begin with some regular faithful giving and you can, you can start that right away. You can pl- talk things over with your spouse or family if, you're, if, if you have that kind of situation and you, you, just, you can plan to get involved in, in giving and in reaping the reward of giving. And if you already give, uh, and I, probably everybody here gives in some ways, let's just seek to become more excellent in giving. Let's seek to, to excel in giving and bring more glory to God, more pleasure to God, and greater blessing to his work and to his kingdom and his people. Let's pray.